Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. So, alhamdulillah, I'm blessed to have Sayyid Mohsen Jeffrey with me. And I want to start by saying Eid Mubarak to you, brother. Sayyid. Assalamu alaikum, Shaykhana. Eid Mubarak to you as well. I'm missing you very much. It's been way, way, way too long. <laughs> I know. When was the last time that we actually saw each other in person? Oh, gosh. At least 10 years, maybe? Long, huh? No way. Oh, yeah, it's been so long. It must have been uh, in. Con I know I saw you in the UK at some point. Yeah, but I didn't when you know were in, that was the last time that I saw you. Mm, mm, uh, yeah, might no, have been definitely. In Kong or the UK, yeah. one of the two. Mm, mm, when did you move back yeah. to the UK? Uh, I, 2018, I came back okay. from Kong. Okay. So, yeah. Wow. So and as they say, how long mm, were you in Kong altogether? So I, I went in 2009 and I came back in 2018. Okay, so, so I was there for around, I spent nine years doing lots of ziyarat and... <laughs> yes. Um, they say that there, there, you know, there's some hearts that are so close they hardly need to meet. So <laughs> that's what I feel like with you yeah. for sure. Definitely I, I love I the time I had with you in Qom. It was the best. It was the best. No, it was you really amazing. One of my amazing. favorite people from there, wasn't Jazakallah. Thank you so much, Sheikh. And, uh, obviously, you're a lot more senior to me, so that's an honor for you just to say yeah, that. But I do respect man. that. Nothing. <laughs> Numbers-wise and age, I'm older. That's it. Yeah. And just to throw some names out, um, do you remember all the times you spent with Alex? Alexander Khalili? Of Khalili's? course, of course. Yeah. So really nice discussions. Yeah, like, What's he yeah. up to? Um, he's busy with a lot of research and translation work, and he was teaching at the Hosea, so I'm presuming he's doing that online now. The Hosea in um, the UK, in fact, yeah? Yes, the Hosea in the UK, yeah. yeah. Um, there's, a, there's a very, uh, there's a really nice book of Ayatollah Khamenei uh, in Farsi, it's called Tarhi Kulliya and Dise Islami Dar Quran, and um, it's, a, it's a big, like, good 600-page book, oh, and wow. uh, Alex is just finished uh, the translation of that it took him almost a year and um so i know he was busy with that and hopefully you know it comes it out published? And... it's not published yet no i think within uh, the next month or so it should be uh, good to Do you go the title in yeah. english uh, we still haven't figured it out yeah? uh, okay. we it, it was so complicated the farsi title of it um, that we just couldn't figure we literally started making up words in english <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you gotta do it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I'll definitely keep you informed. In uh, yeah, do so we could we could try to kind of advertise it, market it, get people to mm. it, read it. Yeah. Definitely, I think I remember him working on it. He's yeah, potentially. Yeah, he has been. He has been, but he was commissioned properly in the last year or so. So okay. I think it's been just over a year. So it yeah. might be something so. else I'm thinking about then. Potentially, you know him. He's always working on different books and stuff. Sure, so, sure. <laughs> an asset in the community. Yeah. Yeah. So, we're definitely mm. in some interesting times here. The world mm. is changing in front of us, right? With this coronavirus mm. pandemic. Yeah. Yeah? I know in Australia definitely. right now, we're in lockdown. We can leave the house mm -hmm. for essential shopping, for exercise. Um, they've closed mm. down pretty much everything, though. So only the supermarkets, pharmacies are open. Um, I don't know what else. Very few things are open. I've been in the house for, for most of the time. I've gone into work a couple of days, but 
most of the time I'm working from home and I'm just home. So it's yeah, very different yeah. for me. How's it over there in the UK? No, pretty much the same thing. Like it's um, as you know, the the daily death toll over here is still rising. Yesterday it was nine hundred and thirty something, um, just in one day. And and today, um, I'll be very surprised if it doesn't touch a thousand. Um, so the situation is pretty bad over here. Again, just the essential supermarkets uh, are open, um, pharmacies are open, but that's pretty much it. Uh, to the extent that. My brother, he's been stopped by the police a couple of times. Um, they, you know, he was driving, and the police stopped and asked him where he's going to wow. make sure it was essential travel. Yeah. Did they give um, fines? They, they. I've heard that they have started giving fines as well. Yeah, um, so luckily, my brother you have didn't a thousand dollar fine. <laughs> Oof. Yeah. Yeah. No, they are. They are taking it um, seriously mm. after the what I would say the initial uh, mismanagement to put it very, you know, lightly. <laughs> um, but it, it, the situation is not good. I mean, if you look at our own community, for example, I was working, I was uh, volunteering at a place um, which is uh, actually doing the proper ghusl uh, mm. of uh, people who are dying from COVID oh, wow. and uh, COVID-19. Uh, and um, just the amount of work that's put in to make sure everything is disinfected after everybody. Mm. And... Um, you know, they were getting three, four people every single day. Um, and, you know, it was literally pretty much a 24-hour effort from their, their side. Yeah. And um, when I last left them, they said in the next week, just the hospital deaths from our community that they were expecting were about 24. And, um, and that's just the hospital deaths. Uh, they're saying about 40 to 50 percent of people dying are not even from hospital. They're people in um, old people's homes or at home and stuff who the hospital have just said, sorry, like, you know, you're not in critical enough condition for us to give you a spot kind of thing. Wow. So it's pretty bad. Another side of it is, for example, we have a friend who's in um, Northwick uh, Park Hospital, which has been, you know, pretty much at the center of this. And uh, he's in the A&D department. And he said that the, the morgue, the cold room um, over there has uh, the capacity for about 40 bodies. And at the moment, not only are they stacking them up three people to each fridge, but they're also using the floor space and stuff because, you know, the, the room is cold. No um, that's the situation uh, over here. Um, I mean, there's, yeah, I mean, the burials every single day. So you said you were, um, were you helping with the gosso and everything with washing the bodies? I wasn't helping with the actual washing of the bodies itself, mm. uh, but just uh, volunteering around it. So, yeah. uh, for example, they they couldn't they couldn't uh, the people who, the person who was providing the caskets, for example, mm. um, they were not able to produce enough. So the the center actually started uh, sourcing their own wood and started making it on site. Wow. I mean, because of how desperate you know so the situation. Funny. Um, uh, was becoming. Alhamdulillah, um, here in Australia, we, it's not that bad. Like the number of deaths, I think, is fifty in the entire country. Right, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's nowhere I, near as bad. But yeah. you know, everyone's worried about a spike coming, and if, mm. if they're not able to flatten the curve, then the beds in the hospital will what be taken up, and then that's when that's when the death tolls really spike. 
Yeah, yeah I mean, like over that. here. Yeah, over here. I mean, you know, we've we've given uh, at least. Uh, at least four or five shahada from the Muslim Shia community, um, doctors working on the front lines who were told of the danger and they still went in saying, no, we're going to help out. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's scary because, uh, so, um, as you know, there's a group over here by the name of Ahlul Bayt Islamic Mission AIM, and they're quite active on the ground. And uh, what happened was that they were trying to source PPE kits to help out in um, the funerals, burials, ghusl and stuff like that. What's a PPE um, kit? PPE kit is basically the standard uh, full body protection that you need to be able to, you know, um, work with uh, COVID-19 essentially. And it consists of uh, the right gloves, which are longer gloves. Uh, there's a shield. Uh, in front of the mask, so the mask is included. Then there's an overall that you wear over the clothes, and then another overall that seals it. Then there are uh, basically, essentially, you know, boots, Wellington boots. Mm. Um, so um, they were trying to source it to help out with that kind of stuff. But then uh, doctors and nurses started phoning saying, "We need PPE kits because they didn't have them." So you have doctors and nurses on the front lines over here who are literally, they pretty much know that they're going to be infected. So they're playing with life and death, yeah. uh, you know, without without the equipment. Yeah. And That's crazy. And yeah, and, and you know, you know, uh, really like the, the real human, um, that caring side uh, can be seen. I always say like, you know, in times of crisis, what happens is, um, you see the best and worst of people, mm. right? So you've seen the scenes in the supermarkets and just the lack of care for others and just trampling on everyone. And, yeah, that's just with a bit of <laughs> trouble that they're facing over here. There's um, a sheikh here, here. Sheikh Nami Farhat, one of, one of my friends mm-hmm. here. He says that history is going to look back at this uh, generation and call it the toilet paper generation. Yeah, no, very much so, and and it it really begins to kind of show that if you look at uh, a lot of the uh, communities around the world, especially in the Islamic world, um, and you see all of the problems that they go through, right? And you don't, yes, you see a lot of bad things, but you don't see this kind of um, descend into just madness right yeah. over here with all due respect to the communities in the west you're facing yes it's a serious virus and we need to take it seriously but generally you're safe right you're leading you're leading a pretty safe life in a, in a society which has its systems in place right yeah. and you see the descent into madness and you just think imagine if they faced even a percentage of the problems that they inflict on the rest of the world imagine what the situation would be like do but you think do that's, you think that um, let me stop you for a second i was actually thinking about that a lot because obviously people you know the different situations people are in and the different levels of stress or the different stressors that they face affect them in different ways. And you could see it definitely here in the West where something that might not seem to be too difficult or might not seem to be too, you know, uh, such a huge hardship that people face in other countries, but it affects mm-hmm. them in the same way, if not more. 
Why, mm. why do you think that is? Like, do you think it's, it's just people are kind of weak and fragile here? Or do you think it's, it's more the, the human psyche kind of gets into a state of comfort and then because they're in this state of comfort, any form of discomfort they can't take, anything that's, that's more difficult to, than the situation that they're used to becomes this mm. incredible hardship. And then how they f- react to that and how they face that is obviously different mm. across different human beings. People will face it in different ways, right? Mm, so mm, I think it, it, yeah. it's an interesting mm. dynamic. No, it is. And there's definitely different factors involved. I mean, one of the things that I've especially realized about um, not just our community, but the wider public over here is that they like the status quo. You know, they don't want things to change too much. And, um, you know, you can have like, uh, for example, you had the MPs uh, expenses scandal. Right. And um, things didn't change after that, not because... It, they shouldn't, but because people don't like change, mm-hmm. right? So they almost said, Do you know what, this is just how the system is kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. And so when there is that change kind of enforced upon you by <laughs> God, essentially, you know, this uh, this virus that has uh, has spread, yeah, like if you're not if you're not used to getting out of your comfort zone, if you're not used to the situation around you changing then you're not going to be equipped to deal with that. And then you'll just be basically doing whatever your basic animalistic instincts are telling you to do, you know, fight or flight kind of uh, attitude, because you haven't grown the human skills that deal with change and, and crisis and so on and so forth. I think that's what happens. And then you see the state kind of come in yeah. and again, normalizes stuff. But not in the sense of training and empowering and educating the people to raise their level so that they don't show those kind of basic instinct kind of uh, attitudes. Mm. But rather just it's almost like, um, again, like it's almost like uh, fight or flight from the state as well. So like they kind of pound you into like, no, you better do this. Right, yeah. or you're going to get into trouble. Yeah. Right, so that's what seems to be like what's happening over it's here. Very, yeah. I see the youth here. At least these are the youth that I've been able to connect with here in Australia. That I've been mentioning these points to them, and I could see that they're growing. Like it's putting mm. their life in perspective, and they're able to mm. look at life in a different way. That okay, all of these things that I had that I took for granted could be taken away from me. Yeah. Right? So yeah. what does this mean? What do I need to do mm-hmm. with myself? How can I how can I still move towards closer to God, better myself, mm-hmm. improve in this world and the mm-hmm. next, no matter what situation I'm in? Right? And mm-hmm. it's kinda of giving them that inner resilience and perseverance, that grit, that you know, all mm-hmm. these good characteristics could mm-hmm. could come from this. So hopefully yeah, no, if if we yeah, definitely you know, Obviously, we have to guide ourselves and each other as well. But if we're able to kind of lead people to that realization, hopefully it can mm. have good effects. Mm. What I would advise for the youth uh, over there, I mean, not that I'm in a position to advise anything. Uh, but what I would say is like, um, we have to look at what we can gain from even the worst of situations. And... Uh, one of the things that we are very strongly recommended 
is visiting the graveyard, is helping with burials, is helping with ghusl, um, and generally helping people in need, right? Mm. Now, we're in a very unique time right now where all of this seems to be happening together, mm. right? Maybe less so in Australia, because uh, obviously you don't have the number of deaths, but when people are in isolation, people would need help. Yeah. So as long as the youth are protected, I would strongly urge them to use this opportunity to try and um, to try and be out there and helping people, obviously taking care of all the um, health guidelines from the government. Why? Because as you said, they can pick up some serious skills mm. that will allow them to grow, right? We are those who will go in the middle of the battlefield and not only protect ourselves, but then also help others who need protection. Right. Yeah. If we can develop that kind of mindset, oh, like this is the this is the time to do it. It's gold. Right? You change people's lives. Like that, mm, definitely. that person who yeah. helps out and volunteers in this period of time will be a changed mm. person for the rest of their life. Yeah, and 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 uh, you know we're speaking um, we're, we're uh, speaking during uh, this blessed day, which is the birthday of our beloved Imam, and uh, uh, congratulations to you, Sheikhana, on that again, and all of the uh, the, the day brothers. The finished for us, unfortunately. All oh, right, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, we still have our our delicious food and so stuff to look forward to. <laughs> um, so. Um, uh, one of the things that we can do right now, Sheikhana, is show the world the solution is with us, mm. right? We will be the ones who will help you out in isolation. We'll deliver your groceries. We don't care if you're Shia, Sunni, black, white, pink, blue, whatever you are, right? Now is the time to show the world that, look, you tried everything else, right? Mm. The solution is us. We are in such a good position right now to be able to uh, reach out to the general public and say that, look, you know, and then they will be proud that, do you know what? I didn't know who Ali was. I didn't know who Zahra was. I didn't know who Hassan and Hussein were. But I am so proud that we have the lovers of these personalities in our communities. Right? Alhamdulillah, this we do our- have some, some of the youth are doing this. I was actually reading on Facebook before mm. before we started talking and as I was scrolling through I saw a number of youth had made posts that look I'm here for you you know all my neighbors whoever needs help just let me know I'll go do your shopping mm. for you I'll do like everyone's trying to to do their part mm. it's good to see that everyone's taking that initiative no, obviously more than just a post on useful. Facebook but yeah like yeah. you definitely you definitely see that and I definitely see there's organizations that are starting to kind of rally the troops to be able to do this and alhamdulillah, no, that's it's, amazing. It's very good. What I've seen our scholars do is make sure that the the link for the youth is very clear between what they're doing right now and their a relationship with the Imam of the time. Mm. Right? That's the relationship with yeah. yeah, I think that would be really fruitful. As you know, the discussions have been kind of up there, like um, we're facing so many problems and so many troubles. And then we have like this, this kind of app, uh, this pandemic, which is which, you know, in recent history has not happened. I would even say more so than even the Spanish flu and how it's gone all over the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, the question comes up, like you know, is this one of the signs, right? Is is the is the is the imam like you know around the corner? And I remember there was this um, 
a tea and this has been like this has become like my motto now mm-hmm. you may have seen it on my facebook as well um it's basically it's not about whether the return is close it's about whether i can make it even closer i, I did see that from you so um so you have a situation in which um my daughter has found me (laughs) so you have a situation um in which um i remember one of the scholars saying that uh no time in history have you had all of the countries that are involved in the reappearance become headline news, right? So you have your you have your um, Saudi, which I like to call Hejaz. Uh, you have Iran, you have Iraq, you have Syria, you have the uh, occupied uh, territories, Palestine. Um, and then there was a time where uh, the scholar would say, it's like we would think, okay, all of those countries are there, but you know, Yemen is supposed to play such a central role in the return. And you don't really see anything about that. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, out of nowhere, you see the lovers of the Ahl al-Bayt in Yemen, you know, have their resistance as well. So on one side, you have all of this. On the other side, you have events like Arba'in, where literally we are being trained how to mobilize in our masses and not to worry about food and water and mm-hmm. <laughs> all of those things, right? Um, uh, and then you see the strength of the the lovers of the Ahl al-Bayt right now as well, right? It's unprecedented in history, right? Now, the way we should approach all of these things is not from a kind of spectator's point of view, mm. right? Rather, um, if these are the signs and if this is bringing us closer to the return, Okay, what can I do to one, make sure because of me, the individual, take all the burden on myself. Mm -hmm. How can I make sure that it's not delayed because of me? Mm -hmm. And secondly, what can I do to make it come even closer? If it's supposed to be next week, we want it to be tomorrow. (laughs) That's the kind of attitude. And again, like these, I don't think it's right to completely reject the fact that this may have something to do with the return, and I don't think it's right to kind of say, you know, it's definitely a part of the return. Rather, what attitude should I have That's towards a good point, these? Because obviously happenings. we can't. Obviously we don't know the the gabe and we don't know what's what the reality of the situation is. But that's a great point, mm-hmm. right? It's it's always about my duty in the in the present moment, and what can I do in order to ensure that I'm on the right track and mm-hmm. I can help, you know help the cause move forward and that's mm. always that's always where you should be right no matter no, what definitely. no matter where you are you can't mm. you know mm. there's things that are out of our control but what's in our control is what we need to no exactly exactly there's a beautiful say, uh, anecdote of uh, uh Behjet. um someone comes to him and says um would it be possible for me to see the imam and or for us to see the imam and Ayatollah Vajad gave a response, just <laughs> completely blows you away. He says, people much worse than us were able to see the Imam. Didn't Shimmer see Imam Ali Did he not see Imam Hassan Did he not see Imam Hussein Right? That's very true. Sheikh Bahjad said, what's important is to work on your surroundings and your heart in such a manner that if you were to see the Imam, you would benefit from it, right? And uh, I remember uh, Sayyid Hashim Musavi, who's the representative of Ayatollah Khamenei in the UK at the moment, he mentioned this story 
of Sheikh Behjad. And then he said that uh, a sealed heart is like a sealed can. If it is even in the ocean, right, no water can enter it because it's sealed, right? So we need to, so we may be right in front of the Imam, right? But if our hearts are sealed, What's the point? We're not going to benefit from it at all, right? So again, it's about what can I do to myself? What can I do to my surroundings? And those things which, as you said, are in my control that would help me use these kind of situations around us right now to motivate me to build a stronger relationship with the imam. And and it's a very good uh, time right now, a catalyst, you can say, to kind of shift our focus um, in the right direction. Yeah, yeah. Interesting so, times, as he said. Hundred percent. Are there are there any things that you could you know if for the people who are listening to this and who watch this, mm-hmm. what what kind of points can we give them to that are more practical? Because the, the ideal mm-hmm. is yes, definitely. I want to do whatever I can to get closer to the imam to bring the imam back as quick as possible. Hundred mm-hmm. percent. This is the ideal. This is the goal. Right, but mm. what are the steps that I need to take to achieve that goal? How can how can mm-hmm. I how what practical things can I do to actually move in that direction? So obviously, mm. I mean, being religious is is definitely an important point. Right? <laughs> our spirituality yeah. and our, our connection to God and our connection to the Imam and all of that is very important, right? So, mm-hmm. but I know it's more than just reciting a du'a or. Even, mm. even you know the best, the best of people who recite du'a ahad every morning. It's more than that, you know. What I mean, mm. there's, there's got to be something more that we could do. Mm. Mm. I mean, um, again, this uh, there was a scholar. He said something beautiful. He said that sometimes we uh, are at eighty percent, and we can't figure out how to get to hundred percent. And we keep on looking up, like, where is this 20% coming from? What we don't realize is the 20% that's missing is the first 20%. Hmm. So if we can get that right, then we would have been at 100%, right? So I think this is a good time to maybe not jump on to um, doing the super long atmal and, you know, marathon recitations of the Quran and... Maybe this is a very good time for us to just look at the very simple and foundational things in our life. The relationship I have with my parents, the relationship I have with my siblings, the relationship I have with my children, right? Just almost see yourself um, away from your being, right? And just analyze what is the quality of these relationships that I have, right? And the same ex- would extend for your friends. This is very basic, you know, stuff. This isn't, yeah. you know, the hardcore kind, of, as I said, the amal and things like that, right? That's on one side. The other thing is, I think now is such a beautiful time to see how disciplined we can be on the smaller things, right? Mm. So as you know, Sheikh Anna, whenever we would go to, our teachers of akhlaq, the first thing that they would do, you know, us jumping up and down would be like, oh, they're going to give us a dhikr that would turn us into like super saiyans and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) But the first thing I remember uh, I was told was um, write down on a piece of paper how many hours I sleep. Mm. 
how many hours I need for my eating, my uh, washing up, um, my prayers, um, the stuff which I know I have to do on a daily basis, mm. right? Write those things down. Then on a weekly basis, you would have uh, those uh, appointments which you know you have to do. So for example, even now there are people in isolation that are still doing classes, for example, yeah. right? They'll be like, okay, I know these hours, I have to do classes, right? Okay, so that's all aside now. Those are the things which you have to do. My teacher would say, now look at the hours you have left, right? And I think right now is a very good chance for before our lives become hectic again. When our lives are not hectic, right? Can we set out the hours that we're spending on sleep and everything else, work and studies and everything else, and then see what we have available still, and then just start putting things in, you know, for 15 minutes, I'm actually going to spend time with my son with no electronics or nothing, with 100% focus and attention on my child for that 15 minutes. And I say 15 minutes not because that's acceptable. I say 15 minutes because that's the minimum. Mm. But that's the point. It's step by step, yeah. right? It's step by step. Sometimes we see the greats. We see the greats on level 100, right? Mm. We forget that level 100 only makes sense if there's 99 levels below that, right? Yeah. And we kind of forget about those steps, right? Mm -hmm. So I think this is a very good chance for us to um, analyze the quality of relations that we have. And secondly, to become more disciplined in our time management when our lives are not hectic. True. So that when everything becomes hectic again, we have a strong foundation to build upon with our relations and we have a strong a foundation to build upon when it comes to our um you know day-to-day -day lives I, I i hope that that's useful in in terms of definitely, you know some practical things we could I, I actually i love relationships i mean having positive relationships is one of the most important things in life right so this is obviously encouraged in islam there's all kinds of um ahadith encouraging us to be brothers to one another and mm. even to, even Imam Sadiq's book where I mean not written by Imam Sadiq but compiled from his from him sayings where he describes what a true friend is and all of these like this list mm. of things that you should be doing <laughs> for each other right and mm -hmm. also on the other side science you know through scientific research they've also found that having positive positive relationships really improves the quality of life in this world Mm, so not it's yeah. not only a next world thing; it's this world too, you know. So mm, mm. I think there was there was a study in Harvard um, in the states, a longitudinal study, that they looked over the lifetime of you know an enormous an, an enormous amount of people for their entire lifetime. So there was multiple researchers who would die and retire during the process wow. of this study. <laughs> right? It was a huge right. study, and they found yeah. that the only thing that brought about happiness or well-being mm. right the only thing that predicted it was having a relationship with someone that was was called a trusting relationship where you can mm -hmm. you can you know you feel that you're not being judged and you can tell your secrets to them and things you know having mm. a close relationship basically mm. right? and that was mm. the number one thing so this yeah. definitely um mm. i know there's some hadith i don't have any I don't have any of them memorized, 
inshallah, I'll, I'll look back into the books. But I remember reading a hadith that was talking about, you know, you know that the hadith that says for every step you walk towards a masjid, you get X amount of rewards. You mm -hmm. had one, you had a similar hadith saying for every step you take to go and meet with your brother in Islam and spend time with him, you get X amount of rewards. So even, oh, wow. There's amazing hadith and amazing, amazing amounts of encouragement from Islam mm -hmm. for these relationships. Mm -hmm. No, I know. I'm very well, fortunate. I live in South London, and all my friends are in North London, <laughs> so I get to travel a lot <laughs> to get to this. So hopefully, that's accumulated some, you know, reward points. <laughs> so, I do a lot of driving too here in in Sydney. Alhamdulillah, I have people all around the city that that I like to right. go and, and see. I can't these days because of the virus, but inshallah, inshallah, this will change soon. Um, I know, I know I was having conversations with you on online about relationships and you were mentioning to me that this is something that you're actually doing from when you moved back from Qom a couple of years ago and this, you're, you're kind of not looking at institutions and you're kind of moving away from the building of institution route that, that some people have done in the past and you're trying mm -hmm. to build relationships and build, you know, help with circles of friendships to kind of strengthen them with each other and hopefully connect them to other circles as well right so mm -hmm. what kind of things are you doing in that in that aspect and why why is that the approach that you've chosen yeah i mean um that's interesting um um it's so difficult to figure out where to actually go into this uh from um because it's pretty much you know looking at my life story <laughs> and there's certain there's certain realizations I had during my time in Qom and then after I came back and, and the holidays in between when I would come back which made me realize that something isn't right mm. um, there's a there's a, a narration that's attributed to Amir al-Mu'mineen uh, now I don't know if uh, there's any um, a truth to you know him having said this I haven't had the chance to research it myself uh, but the narration itself is very powerful it goes something along the lines of um, a faithful person a mu'min is someone who treads lightly but leaves a heavy footprint mm. and for me that was so powerful but then when I would come back and I would look at the situation of our communities. You know, some of our institutions and centers have been around for decades. Yeah. And it's like, I just feel like they've been jumping up and down. And you look at where they were jumping and it's as if no one was there, right? Which was like the opposite of what this narration says, that even the smallest of movement by a mu'min should leave a heavy footprint, right? No, I get that. A hundred percent, that's the case here as well, right? So that, mm. I mean... All the centers, you know, I don't want to knock any of the centers. They're doing mm. a lot of good work and they're, they're striving along the path. But the effect that they have on the community is not the effect that I would feel they should. Right? I'm not, mm. I'm not putting blame on them. Right? Everyone's yeah, doing the best yeah. they can. Right? But yeah. I feel that the system that we have, the just the, the regular masjid program of Dua twice on Tuesday, Dua Kamel Thursday, mm -hmm. Juma prayers if we're lucky on Friday, and mm -hmm. maybe a lecture for the youth at, at most, right? And mm -hmm. that's pretty much it. And then the major occasions, and that just doesn't seem to be having that 
that effect. It's not piercing people's hearts. It's not. It's mm, not mm. raising the community. You know what I mean? It, it seems yeah, like, yeah. like yeah, it's more than just the Sunday church, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. a few days a week, but it's still just yeah. that, right? It's still mm, mm. I'm going to the center just to perform this ritual, and then mm. I'm going to go live my life the way I'm living my life. Mm, you know what I mean? Mm. And, and the connection of the people within the community, even people like here you have in the UK as well, people live around each other, but people yeah. don't. But it, that doesn't mean that people, you know, there's this tight knit community where everyone is close and mm. you don't see it. You know, it's not vibrant. It's just mm, people living mm. in proximity with one another, and that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As uh, one of my teachers would say, we are very good at keeping each other at salam's length. <laughs> uh, that's good. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, uh, I, look, I also want to stress that point. I, I'm not knocking all of the different groups and institutions and centers that um, that are you know working locally as well. Um, they did what they uh, thought was the best thing to do, well intentioned, with the capacity and capabilities that they had. Um, but uh, let's put it this way: if that was stage one, we shouldn't be happy with that. We, we need to keep on progressing. We need to, I mean, honestly, Sheikhana, we wouldn't be here right now if it wasn't for those centers and stuff existing, right? Ultimately, like, and so it's not like they completely, but it's just when you look at the correlation between what Islam promises, where it's talking about the, the, the wilaya of uh, the mu'mineen over the whole world, right? And then you compare that with the, outcome so far and there is a disconnect we have to be i think we have to be genuine uh with ourselves and sincere with ourselves and say there is a disconnect and that was uh that was something which was um uh very strange for me it was very strange for me i couldn't connect the dots because on one side okay you have the different resistance movements you have the islamic movement of nigeria for example you have the islamic revolution itself for example and um and you see the amount of effect that they have had um on on their locality and now all over the world right and then and then it's like why can't we be like that you know why are we pacifying ourselves by saying oh no that's over there right i mean look africa especially nigeria and especially the situation that sheikh zegzeki found himself in initially is very different from the arab world right and even from lebanon to iran it's very different you know, why didn't they say, oh, you know, that that's uh, why didn't they pacify themselves by using that excuse? Mm. Right. And that was really frustrating for me. It's like, no, this can't be OK. Right. Is what is expected from us to become good events organizers or is it expected of us to become a movement? Right. Because there's plenty of people who can organize events a million times better than us. Right, and they don't have to be Muslims to do it either. Right? You just—I was—I was was having a conversation with the brother. Just have you ever seen those motivational speakers? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they have like this whole entourage come, and 
the way that they're presented onto the onto the screen, like onto the stage, mm, mm. right? Yeah, the people in the crowd are already buzzing with energy, and like they're yeah. almost they're almost jumping out of themselves when the guy walks onto the stage, right? And it's, mm, mm. it's no, exactly because they were able to create this hype, this right? And like for us, it's like all right, and they say it is gonna come and give a speech about Sayyidah Zahra and then you go up and you give a speech yeah. but like obviously yeah mm. the events that could be made mm, we mm. could do you know that's not it that can't be yeah holding, that can't be even, even can't if be we the were... whole purpose of life here Exactly, exactly. Because other people can also hold events, right? It can't. And you know, let's let's make it religious. You know, there were two jamaats on the day of Ashura. There were two congregations that were praying, right? So it can't even just be about getting a congregation going. You know, pray pray together. That that can't that can't be. You know, just that. And and that takes me to the first realization that I had. Right? Mm. Was Tawheed right? No one ever told me that Tawheed is not a noun. I wish I would have known because we translate Tawheed to monotheism, right? No one told me Tawheed literally translates to to make something one, Mm. to change multiplicity into one, right? And as soon as I heard that, I was like, hang on a second, that means you don't believe in Tawheed. You have to do Tawheed, right? And just that shift in thinking, that hang on a second, right? Then you look at the times Iman and Amal have come together in the Quran and you're like, I thought Iman was something that's supposed to be in my heart or when I believe in something, it's a conclusion I reached in my head. Mm. But the Quran is literally saying if you don't have Amal, with this iman, it's of no value, right? We have traditions, in fact, which, um, if I'm not mistaken, in Surah Hajj, there's a verse which talks about uh, hijrah, right? Mm. And it says, Oh, those who believe and migrate, they will have the guardianship of Allah and the Prophet. And then it says, and those who believe but do not migrate will not have that guardianship, right? Mm. Very clear distinction between, um, you know, uh, the fact that you cannot just have these concepts and beliefs as something which exists in the realm of theory, the day-to-day practical implications of those need to be understood, mm. right? And and that just wasn't the case, uh, I, especially when it comes to um, the Shia. We are very good when it comes to the, theor- the theoretical side of our theology, right? The theoretical side of our discussions of whether God exists or the necessity of prophethood or the proofs of why Amir al-Mu'mineen is the rightful successor, right? We are very strong in that. Mm. But the point is this. If your life, your objectives, what you like, what you dislike, what demotivates you, what motivates you, the fire that's burning inside of you, if all of these things are exact the same as someone who does not believe in God or someone who believes in more than one God then what is the point of you believing in one God right obviously there'd be no point yeah yeah Yeah. and that that was the yeah that was the realization it's like hang on a second we're supposed to be like we're supposed to be different from everyone around us Mm. right and I just did not see that in our communities I I, I saw the 
Yeah, I saw the primary objectives being okay. We need to have a uh, we need to have safety. We need to have a big house, a big car, a nice job. I'm like, that's exactly the same as someone who doesn't have God. That's exactly the same as someone who doesn't have the sacrifices of Imam Hussein and Lady Zainab Salam. So what's the point, <laughs> mm. right? And I thought, no, there has to be something that has to change. And again, when you look at the movements which are successful in in today's age, right? You see that no, they 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 are different. What burns inside of them is different from those who don't have those personalities, from those who don't have, who doesn't have a lot, for example. Um, so that was the first realization that Tawheed is actually you know to make something into one as opposed to just believing in the existence of God. The second realization was uh, what Tawheed actually means, right? So we've grown up with our madrasas and stuff teaching us. You know, when you get to the chapter of Tawheed, you open the book and it goes through the proofs of the existence of God and goes through the characteristics of God and why is God one and not two? You have these discussions. Ayatollah Khamenei has such a beautiful saying which changed my life so much. Right? He says, when the Prophet began his mission, what was his mission? Tawheed. What was the slogan of that mission? La ilaha illallah. The negation of the non-divine and the attachment towards Allah, essentially. Right? That's what Tawheed was. Right? He said as soon as the Prophet made that slogan, it had two immediate effects. The first effect was it shook the non-divine and the oppressors. And the second effect was it became a source of hope and a magnet for the oppressed, for the downtrodden. Mm. He didn't stop there. He said, you as a muwahid, someone who believes in Tawheed, your existence should have exactly the same effect on your surroundings. Mm. Your existence should be a source of worry for the oppressors and the non-divine and your existence should be a source of hope and a magnet for the oppressed and the downtrodden. And I was like, that's Tawheed, <laughs> right? Allah even uh, introduced himself. Allahu la ilaha illahu. Who is Allah? There is none worthy of worship except him, right? So if you want to understand Allah, understand him through the negation of the non-divine and then you'll get to the divine, right? So again, when I understood, oh snap, right? That's what Tawheed is. And again, linking it to the first point, that means you have to do this. Don't just believe in this correct understanding. You actually have to uh, uh, act upon it. You have to uh, work in a way that uh, you are negating the non-divine, whether that's the non-divine uh, education system, the non-divine uh, financial system, the non-divine governmental system, right? And you have to strive to establish a divine educational system, a divine governmental system, a divine financial system, and so on and so forth, right? So that was the second realization that, that uh, you know, really hit me, right? Mm. The third thing that got to me was, and this is pretty simple, um, we have a living Imam, right? Who is not living in the sense he was there once upon a time and he'll be there in the future. No, living right now, 
right? And because he is alive, our allegiance with him also needs to be alive. We cannot float through this life purposelessly, right? We cannot, let me just put it this way, we cannot float through life. Mm. Right. We have an imam who we're supposed to have given our allegiance to. And this allegiance is a life just like he's how he is alive. Right. So, again, this meant that my life had to be with purpose. Right. It couldn't just be I couldn't just continue going how everyone else is going, kind of going with the flow and seeing where which which was the case with me in Qum as well. Right. This isn't just about whether you're a student or not a student. Right. I realize there's two types of people in this world. Those who live with purpose and those who live without purpose, right? No matter where you are, you can be the most purest and best uh, soldier for the imam of your time halfway across the world from the Hausa, right? And you can be the worst enemy and the most dangerous person for the imam whilst being in the center of the Hauser. Shaykhana, me and you had experiences with individuals like that who happened to be from Australia as well. <laughs> Can I just add? <laughs> right? So what I understood was that it's very important to have a purposeful life and we as the lovers of the Ahlul Bayt have a purpose. We have a living Imam to whom our allegiance should also um, be alive. And then the fourth realization, which is the last one, which brings us on to the discussion of the relationships. I realized what wilaya means and I realized the importance of it, right? Mm. So unfortunately for a lot of our community, wilaya or being wilayati is a reference to accepting the um, imamate of Amir al-Mu'mineen or being wilayati had no meaning before the revolution in 1979, <laughs> right? Now, Ayatollah Khamenei himself gave speeches five years before the revolution in which he spent about four speeches talking about this concept of wilaya, what it actually means, right? So who better person to actually learn, you know, what wilaya is and what being wilayati is and so on and so forth. And he kept it very simple. He said, look, wilaya, if you look in the Quran, means attachment. Mm. That's it, right? There are two ways of looking at this attachment. One is there is a horizontal wilaya and sorry, horizontal wilaya and a vertical wilaya, right? Horizontal wilaya is the attachment that you have with your peers, with one another, with the mu'mini, and vertical wilaya is the attachment you have with those who have authority over you, right? Mm. That's one way of looking at it. The other way of looking at wilaya is if you are to be attached, right, then you need to know what you're supposed to detach from as well. Again, very Tawhidi concept, mm -hmm. the detachment with the non-divine and attachment towards the divine. So I'm going to park that to the side. But the first bit is so misunderstood, Shaykhana. As you know, we have traditions would say that if you um, pray during the nights and you fast during the days and you give a mountain's worth of wealth in zakat, if you do not have wilaya, none of this is of any use, mm. right? Now, unfortunately, what we do is we limit that to the wilaya that's vertical. So the attachment 
of those who have authority over us. What we don't realize is that there is no condition placed in that tradition, right? Mm. This is a reference to all types of wilaya and to further prove that, there's a narration by Imam Muhammad Baqir in which he says that the seal of all of your good deeds is your worry, is the worry you have for your brothers, right? Do you notice the similarity? Mm. So none of those acts will be accepted if you don't have wilaya. And over here, none of your acts will be accepted unless you have wilaya, right? You yeah, realize wilaya meaning that friendship, meaning that relationship. Yeah, is, yeah. yeah the, the so horizontal. it's both. So exactly, right? So it's both. It's that vertical attachment and the horizontal attachment. And uh, just uh, just uh, because you know all of this is like kind of the fundamental discussions which took me to this point. Um, my teacher once told me, look, there's a narration from Amir al-Mu'minin in which he says that fight your nafs the way you fight the enemy in the battlefield, hmm. right? And then there's another narration which says that it is harder to conquer your nafs than to conquer a fortified city in the middle of the day by yourself. Right now, my teacher said to me, "What we get from this is, oh my God, it's so difficult to <laughs> conquer your nafs, right?" And he says, "No, what we're supposed to understand from this is which idiot, right, would try and conquer a city by themselves, mm. right? Which idiot goes out onto the battlefield to fight the enemy by themselves? <laughs> what we're supposed to understand from this is the necessity." of that horizontal wilaya, the attachment with our brothers, not just when we're talking about, oh, let's do some activism. No, even in our own personal spiritual development, we cannot do it unless we have others. As you know, the verses in the Quran where Allah is talking to, um, there's a conversation between Allah and Iblis, right? And what does shaitan say? That I will come at uh, the believers from the front, the back, the left and the right. What's he trying to say? Right? He wants you isolated. Mm. He wants you alone. Right? But if you had a whole army, if you were getting rid of your weaknesses and strengthening your strengths alongside your friends, you know, where where they tell you what weaknesses you have and, and they tell you what strengths you have, right? How is shaitan going to isolate you? How is he going to surround you? Right. That's the kind of approach that we need to have. And that's the importance of that horizontal wilaya and the attachment and stuff. Right. That's how central it is to us as well. Mm. I think here in Australia, at least some of the brothers that I'm around have realized that point as well. Like, I think not, not as well as you have articulated it, though. Right. So I think we'll definitely learn from <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to have them watch this bit. But there's there's, <laughs> there's definitely a group that have gotten together and they said, you know what, mm -hmm. we we need to build these relationships with each other. We need to create this strong group of mu'minis. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. we've started to hold a du'a program. So du'a to wassel, du'a kumail, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Obviously not now, mm -hmm. but inshallah. Yeah. When, when the um, restrictions ease a bit. But we've been doing that pr close to a year now, I think. Uh, what we've been doing is we'd get together, do the du'a, and then mm. we'd hang out afterwards. So it wasn't do the du'a, all right, guys, cut off here, see you later, and, and never 
never talk to each other again. Yeah, We'd actually nice. sit there and the dua was what would bring us together. But then the, the gathering afterwards, right, mm -hmm. is, is really where, you know, where the most benefit was, I think. You know? No, it's, it's that's the Islamic say, movement. It's hard to say that yeah. more benefit than a dua. But obviously, like mm. that, we wouldn't give a lecture. Like, I, like there's another sheikh that participates as well. So it's me and a, mm -hmm. a sheikh by the name Muhammad Dehaini who's studying in Lebanon. Mm -hmm. And right. we'd, we'd go there. We'd open up discussions. And we'd, we'd just talk and people would just bring up questions and mm. everyone would have the floor. It's not like it's only us two talking. Like everyone would talk and mm. give their, give their nice. opinions and we'd, we'd bond. And mm. I found that after we started these programs, I started going fishing with a couple of the brothers. We'd start right. nice. go play board games at, at one of the brothers' houses over on the weekend. Mm. And like these, mm. this connection between each other grew. Right, mm, and mm, we mm. became—I became closer with this group, and I feel mm, it's, it's, nice. You know, these these are things that I think are recognized. Like I think mm. the Mu'minin, at least the youth, are recognizing. Wait a second, we need to do these things. Like we need to. Mm. This is why there's you know a hundred thousand youth groups popping up everywhere, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They 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 recognize this need of of needing to have more than than just the ritualistic islam like we need to, yeah we need to do yeah. this together and inshallah mm -hmm. you know with your duas will be more successful and yeah, obviously inshallah. as one thing you mentioned earlier having that direction also is important not yeah, just not yeah. doing it just to say hey this is a good thing to do but mm -hmm. keeping in your mind you know why we're doing this we're doing this because we want to connect to the Imam. We want to hasten his mm. reappearance. We want to do something which will enable us to to see him, but not only see him as as you mentioned, as Shimmer saw the Imam, but we see him and mm. connect to him. You know what I mean? Right. And that's mm. definitely something, inshallah, that that mm. is being looked at. And I know that's that's what you're doing over there as well. So you yeah, know, yeah. I'm not the same. I'm not saying you're doing the exact same program, but that's mm. your focus. Mm. Yeah, bring yeah. These people together, which is good, and hundred percent, mm, I, mm. I agree with that. Mm. Inshallah, as a strategy, it seems like it's the right move. I'm no, definitely. That, I'm hoping that we'll see the fruits of it in the future. Inshallah. Mm -hmm. And Sheikhana, there's, there's, it, you know, that's based upon uh, genuine research. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look at the way that the prophets build the movements, right? If you look at the way that the Ahlul Bayt, the, all the Imams, they build their movements. You look at the way that the successful movements right now built their movements, right? This is how it happened. Mm -hmm. One of the questions that Sheikh Zegzeki was asked is, why did you not build a center until you were in your tens of thousands, right? Because yeah. why? Because he's like, oh, we, we didn't realize like that was our responsibility. We thought our responsibility was, as Aga Panahian says, build people, not institutions right so um that's definitely the right way to think and it's not just it, it feels right because it is right i mean the, the it's again i say this not just um just off the cuff no if, as i said if you actually let me just put it in a very very simple delil for you right why are the companions of the prophet and the ahlul bayt so important for us the reason why they're important for us is because they are the ones upon whom 
those uh, the Ahlul Bayt and the Prophet spend the most amount of time, energy, resources. Simple as that. That's how they worked. They worked by being with the people and building those relationships, building their core groups and circles. And then those core groups and circles eventually went out. And and remember, this, this is an understood uh, concept as well in marketing as well, that the majority only will accept what you believe if someone else has tried it already, mm. right? And that's essentially what the companions would do because they had such strong links with each other when they would go into society, right? Society will be attracted and they would want to be a part of it, right? And that's how they would grow. Inshallah, what we can do, unfortunately, I've run out of time and I think yeah, I've tired you. Is that shaken out? Yeah. Um, Inshallah, what we can do is potentially arrange for another session in which now that we've had all this kind of, you know, the foundational discussion leading up to the projects that we're working on, mm. uh, we can have another session where we can uh, speak more specifically about the actual mm. work that's being done on the ground and some of the things that we've learned and some of the ideas we can bounce off each other. And inshallah, we definitely, we'll, we'll definitely do this in the future, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This was great. Thank you so much, Said, for, for no, coming on board accepting my invitation and it's really a pleasure to to have you here and to see you again no no likewise i miss you so so much my life <laughs> like thank you so much and i and honestly i was speaking to sayyid samar the other day as well um the say samar Haydari and uh, the head of aim and uh, I was saying to him that, um, you know, as soon as all of this is over, we need to find a way to get to Australia. I don't care if we have to swim. I don't care if we have to go on a camel. <laughs> like, we need to figure out a way to go there. So it'll be amazing to see you guys. There'll be a flight there. I hear Qantas is pretty good. But definitely, you guys need to come, man. 100%. 100%. It's, it's an amazing community here. So much potential. So much potential. So it's just, we have to we have to figure out how to tap into this potential one. Inshallah, inshallah, Shaykh. We'll be in touch then, Shaykh. Please do remember us in your du'as. Please and remember And again, thank you so much word. for this opportunity yeah, as well. My pleasure, my pleasure. Alright, Shaykh. Take care. What? You haven't subscribed yet, mate? Get on the ball. Subscribe to the channel.